The fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, offering solar options, energy security, and solutions for the local community. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, one of the oldest Latina heritage parades in the country happens right here in Springfield. Shirley Rodriguez, one of the organizers of the Springfield Puerto Rican Parade, will be here in studio along with NEPM reporter Elizabeth Roman, who's covering the kickoff event and the parade itself. There's a kickoff party happening on Thursday that Monty alluded to (laughs) to get us all ready to celebrate. And first, coffee. Specifically, Dean's Beans Coffee Roaster in Orange Mass. Technically, the 978, not the 413, but it's Franklin County, so it still counts. Dean Sikon founded Dean's Beans Organic Coffee in 1993 after working as an environmental and indigenous rights lawyer. He's dedicated the last 30 years to proving that a for-profit business could create meaningful change through ethical business practices rooted in respect for the earth, the farmer, the consumer, and... The co-workers. And even though yesterday was his last official day as head of the company, he left by example, selling the company to his co-workers who have now formed a worker-owned co-op. We're joined by Dean Sikon, formerly of Dean's Beans, <laughs> and Beth Spong, one of the new owners of Dean's Beans. First question, I guess, Dean, is... How's we, retirement? Well, I was going to say, what is, are we going to continue to call it Dean's Beans? That's up to the workers. I mean, I think it would make a lot of sense since everybody knows it is that. But it wasn't, it wasn't you know, written into the contract them. like Ben and Jerry's was going to be Ben and Jerry's forever or anything like that. No, I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's their it's their company now, and they'll they'll do what they will. I just think that who we are and the mission we've created really speaks for itself. So why rock the boat? Yeah. Yes, the answer is yes. It's going to continue to be called Dean's Beans Organic Coffee. That's a definite yes. But there. Could there be maybe a blend that's called formally the beans formerly known as Dean's? Or Beth's beans or something like yeah. that? I like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you do specialize blends. Like, you do personalized we blends. We do. My mom could get one that says Beth beans, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Beth, you're now one of the new worker owners, right? I am. Yes, I am. And I will. I am the CEO of the company. Wow, that is amazing. How many other of you that didn't are take there? Long did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a hostile takeover if you give it away. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. That's true. Thank you. I I, I knew that. <laughs> How many other worker owners are there? And there is, that, is that the structure? Is it a worker owner co-op like it that? It is yeah. a worker owned cooperative. Yes, and there are sixteen of us, and I am one. And so, yeah, the whole team is very excited, and we've been working for the last fifteen months actually with. A cooperative development institute helping us learn what we need to know to make this transition and have the company continue to do the great work that Dean has been doing for the last 30 years. So it's quite a legacy to carry forward. And there are a lot of worker-owned co-ops in Western Massachusetts, probably more so than in other parts of the country. So you've got these other resources. I know there's the Valley Alliance of Worker Co-ops that is from this area that, you know, did you work with them at all in the guidance of this transition? We will probably work with the Alliance and become part of the Alliance now that we are a worker-owned cooperative. We've been working with the Cooperative Development Development Institute out of... um, and a consultant out of Maine. They're based, I think, in Western Mass. And then we, uh, just a group of about six of us, went to the Vermont Employee-Owned Centers Conference, and we met all kinds of people from cooperatives, employee-owned cooperatives, and learned a tremendous amount. So we're definitely uh, 
committed to the learning of how to make the business continue running as smoothly and as, as well as it has been. I think they are based in Western Mass because I'm pretty They're sure that's in Northampton. The, yeah. the same organization that helped uh, Franklin County Corrections when they were working on building co-ops in, in that system, too. Cool. That eventually became the Compost co- Cooperative. That was on the show, was on the show two weeks a couple ago. weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So we're hearing a little bit about the future of Dean's Beans, but let's go back in time. The history of Dean's Beans. Dean, you were, uh, even before you were uh, an environmental and indigenous lawyer, is it true that you were a corporate lawyer? You were, you know... Working for the for the big guys. Well, yes, but there is a story. Okay, so I figured there was. No, the dean, dean is the author of two books, one of which has just come out, a historical fiction called Finding Home. We'll talk a little bit about that later, as well as Java Trekker. Dean's filled with stories, but tell. Well, this one has to do with a young a young guy who wanted to participate in social change. Uh, when I was in high school, that's when the Vietnam War was raging, and I was so excited by the fact that lawyers were helping organize people, William Kunstler, et cetera, were helping organize people to fight against this monstrous thing. And so I thought, that's what I'll be. I'll be a lawyer, because that's, that's a good avenue. Then I went to law school, and I started doing rights, indigenous rights work, and I started doing environmental work in law school. And... Um, and I, when I graduated, I thought, okay, I can get out there in the trenches because uh, a lot of my friends were doing that. But I realized I didn't have any skill. I had all the heart and soul, but no skill. So I thought, if I'm going to fight multinationals and large banks and governments, where am I going to get that kind of experience? Working for the large banks and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> So I took a job. I was offered a job, which was interesting in and of itself, with a Wall Street law firm. And I worked there. I said, I'm going to work there for two and a half years because if you work there for over three years, you get sucked in. If you work there for much less than three years, you didn't get the, the, you know, you didn't get the training. So I took the job. And basically on my third anniversary, I walked into my senior partner's office, Kimblewood Lovejoy, who's now senior judge in the Southern District in New York, wonderful, wonderful person, great mentor. And I said, I'm, I'm going to be leaving. And she said, well, we knew that. It was only a matter of time, but you've done good work here and hope you've learned a lot. It's like, yes, thank you very much. The next day, I started a one-person law firm, and I did that for about a year and starved. So, <laughs> so then I said, I better do something else. So I, I got a fellowship at Woods Hole Oceanographic for, for two years looking at the impact of offshore uh, oil and gas on indigenous fishing around the world. So that kind of brought me back in. I also worked on the Titanic while I was there. That's another story. Oh, Forget it. That's another episode. Okay. Nobody's been talking about the Titanic. I know. I know. I thought I'd bring it up just for no to remind reason people. whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, so I did get that experience, and it was awesome. So that when I started my own firm and then started working with other people and and, and indigenous groups, I had I had the skill to actually do something and fight. But I also realized after a couple of years that. All I was doing was putting out brush fires. I wasn't, I wasn't really attacking the real problems behind why indigenous peoples were suffering so much in the United States, why the environment was in such disarray. And so I thought, I, I've got to start trying to find where I can have a more direct impact. So Dean's Beans was basically my way of interacting directly with a place where globalization was having a terrible impact on coffee villages. And at the time I started, there were no uh, international aid groups. There were no progressive roasters. There was nobody doing work in the villages. And nobody in the coffee industry was a lawyer and an activist. They were just 
roasting coffee and selling it in small town businesses, you know. So I came at it from a very different place. And I think in the 30 years we've been doing Dean's Beans, we've really modeled for the coffee industry and other industries, you know, how you interact with your source, how you interact, especially primary sources in, in the developing world or the global south. So with your coffee, like you go to places and, and check out the trees and t- talk to the people and see and plant more trees while you're there. Have you seen things changing over the course of your tenure at Dean's Beans with these crops and with the trees due to climate change already? There's two major changes I've seen at Dean's Beans. One, just because you mentioned it, is is the planting of trees. We have about 400,000 hardwood trees in Peru. We're in four other countries with, with uh, tree planting programs with the farmers. The farmers choose the varietal. The farmers create nurseries. The farmers plant the trees. We don't bring in trees for the future or any of these other large organizations that take most of your money and suck it up and admin for us well-off people up here. So we don't do that. So, but, but the other side of that and, and the other work we do with farmers, the development projects that we do are not really about the deliverables, how many schools, how many wells, how many healthcare programs. It's really about changing people's attitudes about themselves because social change isn't about deliverables. It's about people changing. Until people change their attitude and get a sense of agency instead of feeling like passive victims, until they can be active agents in their own change, nothing's going to change. So that's what we're really all about. And we've been very successful on a small scale, but we've modeled to a lot of people. And, you know, you never know. How many people's hearts and minds do you have to participate in facilitating change before they then create their own things? And we can point to tons of stories like that. We don't see it up here, but that's what's happening all over the global south in part because of the work we do. So 30 years on, we're still doing it. It's the most important thing, what we do, and I don't think that's going to change. And I can corroborate that. So I've been with the company about uh, almost a year and a half, and I've been and this to- is the new CEO, CEO of Dean's Beans, Beth yes. Song, that we're speaking to right now. And I, the first thing I did, the very first week, I went to a Specialty Coffee Association conference, which happened to be in Boston. Super convenient. There are thousands of people there who from around the world in the coffee business and I had my little name tag in my lanyard Beth Spong Dean's Beans Organic Coffee and I'm walking around I went to the research conference part of it first and then the big expo and I would say 80% of the people I met and just introduced myself to said oh Dean's Beans I know Dean's Beans Dean's done more for the coffee farmers than anybody else in the industry Dean's a legend and Um, So it was huge for me to see how the coffee industry respects Dean and the company and the work that we've been doing with farmers at Source. And the same thing happened again this year in Portland, Oregon. I was sitting next to this guy who owns a coffee company in Vancouver about to listen to a speaker. And I introduced myself and I said, we're a 30-year-old organic fair trade coffee company. He said, I know. I'm like, like, how would I know that you know that when you're from Vancouver? And uh, so that happens over and over again in the coffee industry. But what else did he say? What kind of got him motivated in coffee? Oh, so there was another guy in one of the sessions. We were talking about um, the impact of um, 
of climate change on coffee farming around the world. And I had some comments to make, so I said who I was and then made my comments. And the next gentleman who spoke said, Java Trekker is the only reason I'm in coffee. I read Dean's Bean's book and it changed my life. And he's from (laughs) Minneapolis. And he's been in coffee for 20 years because he read Java Trekker and he saw a vision that really resonated for him about what's possible to do um, in service of humanity and the environment through a for-profit business. And um, so that was amazing. We're speaking with the new CEO of Dean's Beans, Beth Spong, who's new, newly minted as of yesterday. Is that when you officially became CEO? Correct, Amundo. And the longtime CEO and founder of Dean's Beans, Dean Sycon, who retired yesterday. He's finally free. Yeah, I, I was deminted yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about some of those exciting stories uh, in your book, uh, more of your Coffee Land adventures, more of your social entrepreneurial. Uh, involvement in in which places in the world. But I also want to talk a little bit about your uh, stint as a pirate (laughs) as well as... It's an ongoing gig. (laughs) (laughs) As well as uh, what the future holds in store for Dean's Beans. Sans Dean, you're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to the fabulous 413. We are here with Dean Saikon and Beth Sprong of Dean's Beans. Full disclosure, Dean's Beans is an underwriter of New England Public Media. Okay, that's over with. Now we can ask you the fun questions. (laughs) (laughs) Dean, what's your favorite type of coffee that you roast? Or had roasted until yesterday when Beth Spong became the new CEO of the new worker-owned co-op that you um, uh, sold to your employees. Well, I'll tell you I'll tell you my favorite coffee that I'm going to have to start buying now. <laughs> you don't get free coffee for a lifetime I after you found to put a it in the contract. Company? Can you believe it? I forgot. I'd be like giving we... Willy Wonka no candy. Oh, no, no chocolate. No chocolate. I think we can arrange that for yeah, we you, have, Dean. We have to work on that. Yeah. You just but... show up in an alley and someone passes you a bag <laughs> real quietly. Look at me. It's me on the it's me on the bag. <laughs> Not anymore. They got rid of me on the bag, too. Oh. That, was, that was two years ago in preparation for this. Oh, wow. now, now it's two hands. Yeah. Okay, so so how long has this been in the works of, of get preparing to turn it over to the workers? Okay, so I've had a five-year plan for the last 15 years. Ooh. You know, I've been thinking for a long time that there's going to come a time when, when it's time to pass the torch. I have two incredible daughters, neither of whom has any interest whatsoever. So there goes succession. There goes the <laughs> dynasty, right? No TV series out of our family. But um, – but, then, you know, and then I thought, well, how can I ensure that the mission stays the way it is? So I looked at different legal forms, and one of them was a voting trust, and I thought that'd be pretty cool. And incidentally, that's what Patagonia just instituted, a mm. voting trust. They didn't give away their shares. They didn't give away their money. They didn't give the workers power. They created a voting trust to keep the mission intact. In so I thought about a voting trust, but it was kind of complex legally, and I really don't like lawyers. I spent too much time with present them. company included. In, exactly, <laughs> you know. And so um, one thing led to another. We had per- some progressive businessmen that came in and wanted to buy Dean's Beans, but you know, you sniff and scratch them, and at the end of the day, all they were interested in was the money. You know, oh yeah, the farmers, oh yeah, the employees, but well, the money, and we can do more products. So I thought, you know, this isn't working, and I thought. 
I, I, I'd been thinking about a worker co-op for years, but to be honest with you, we were missing a critical piece, and that was who's going to replace Dean, <laughs> you know? Right. And then all of a sudden, when, when Beth, who was a uh, consultant working with us wonderfully for three years, when she and I were putting together like a general manager, C- COO position, trying to write it out, she stopped and said, you know, I'd like this position. And I was like, you? Why? You've got such a good gig. And she said, because I believe in this company. I know everybody. I've worked here for three years on and off. And I, I'd like to do this. And I said, can't think of anybody better. So Beth came on, and then that was the missing piece. So we started thinking about co-op pretty much right off the bat. Now, now Dean is a Java trekker. He loves going to these places and getting involved and being in these villages. Is this something that you, Beth, the new CEO, feel like you'll you'll carry on? Absolutely. It turns out I speak Spanish very well. Better than me. It was one of my majors <laughs> in college, and I've lived in Spain a couple of times. And so that element, we spent a week in... Uh, Nicaragua in early February with Brendan Walsh, our roastmaster and green bean buyer, and with um, the coffee cooperatives that we buy coffee from in Central and South America. And so it was my first time seeing the coffee farms and meeting the coffee uh, farmers and their families and um, seeing what the process is at source. And that was amazing. And we also invited our cooperative partners from Guatemala, Honduras, Peru, and Colombia to join us in Nicaragua so that we could all talk together about the social projects that we work with on them on in their countries. And that was really amazing. Um, so it was fun to speak Spanish the whole week, but it, I mean, that's one barrier in, in Central and South America that, that isn't a problem for me. Um, but Yes, it's part of how we do what we do is to actually have direct relationships with farmers in the coffee land. So Dean and I were just talking on our way down here about how the next place we're going to go is probably Sumatra and Timor because we buy a lot of coffee from those countries Mm. and and the legacy continues through that work. And it's really important to have the the personal relationships. So we got to go. That means Beth got to go. That means <laughs> Brendan's got to go. And he mm-hmm. did a wonderful job because he's the roaster. You know, he, he touches those beans. He, he roasts those beans. So he's an important part of this. So I think Beth and, Beth and uh, Brendan are going to be the team doing the, uh, doing the in-country visits. Also, we also have other relationships with the farmers, and this is really neat. So in October, when is, when is Gabby coming up? Yes, in October. Share, share that. So Protocoop is the coffee cooperative in Nicaragua that we buy coffee from and have a 25-year relationship, 28-year 28 relationship, relationship mm-hmm. with them. And their business manager is coming up to study at the International Language Institute. She speaks pretty good English, but she's going to come up for the month of October. We're bringing her up, and um, she'll be studying at ILI and hanging out in Western Mass. And um, that's a benefit to us because it really builds uh, that relationship um, and continues that, but it's also a great benefit for her because she does business internationally with people from around the world um, to have stronger English. That's wicked cool. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> that's that's attacking the system at its source, right? Mm-hmm. So there we go. Yeah. More power and more hands of more workers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now, Dean, we still didn't get to the your favorite cup of coffee question yet, but let's not forget about that. I also don't want to forget about what I alluded to 
the last segment. Pirates. Pirates. Tell us about your relationship with pirates and specifically, specifically of the Caribbean. Of the Caribbean, yeah. <laughs> you mean pirates who carry beans. Ah. <laughs> not my not my joke. I can't take credit. That's João Leon, a wonderful Portuguese um, jokester. And that is Dean of Dean's Beans, oh, who is a pirate of the Caribbean. That's a level to which your jokes aspire. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that is ah, true. No kidding, huh? So tell us yeah. about your relationship with pirates. So I've been I've been doing pirates for a long, long time. I was on the Today Show when I was at Woods Hole Oceanographic because I did a I did a, a little side project on international piracy, modern piracy. So we pulled together twenty four countries and had this four day conference on the problems of modern piracy. Did you dress up like a like a Halloween style esque <laughs> uh, pirate for that conference? No, okay. I didn't. Just I missed checking. my chance. I missed my <laughs> chance. So, but so then I got a call from the Today Show and they said, "Well, we want to have a segment on." Piracy, we'd like you to come down to Savannah, Georgia on the SS Norway and we'll have this thing. So they brought on a historian to talk about historical piracy and then they brought me on to talk about modern piracy on Out at Sea. It was so cool. Uh, Bryant Gumbel, you may remember oh, him. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, Bryant Gumbel interviewed me and, and well, that's another story, but we'll <laughs> leave that for another time. Um, and it was great. So there, that got me rolling in the pirate world. And then uh, it just keeps coming up every now and then. And then I ultimately got that uh, small but important part in Pirates of the Caribbean 3 where I threw up behind Johnny Depp. It was it was the crescendo of the movie. You know, it's like oh, definitely act three and four. I think there of. are many people and, who want to follow that lead. And not at all late. foretelling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there it was. Yeah, it made a splash, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, yeah, that, that's it. But Dean's but, you know, 70th birthday in January was a pirate-themed party. Yes. Yeah, I was surprised. We I were walked all, in and we there were, were dressed up. 70 people in there dressed as pirates. That's amazing. That's I thought fantastic. I was in the wrong room. <laughs> no, and the employee didn't. group sang a sea shanty to him. Amazing. In Only his one? honor. <laughs> Your pirates are slacking, right? Yeah. <laughs> but they were too busy raiding the food and pillaging the bar. <laughs> That's Dean Sycon, formerly of Dean's Beans, who has now transitioned his company to a cooperative-owned business. And Beth Spong, who is the new CEO of Dean's Beans. Dean, the last time I had you on my other airwaves, I was on with you and your wife who had left not only doing stuff in the coffee world, but doing stuff for humanitarian efforts in other regards. You were on the border of Ukraine in Poland mm -hmm. with World Central Kif uh, Kitchen formed by Chef Jose Andres feeding uh, the people who were having to flee Ukraine into Poland. Talk about why that, that's what you're doing in your free time when you're, you know, besides when you're going to, to the coffee lands and trying to develop social entrepreneurship and dig wells and things like you that. You know, it's, to be frank, it's really hard for me to resist something that calls to me. And so I think I got a lot of bandwidth to do different things. So yes, uh, Annette and I started working on the border of Poland and Ukraine we, we went over there to, to be with the Chef Andre's World Central Kitchen, but when we got there, we realized there's plenty of people chopping up tomatoes, you know, but we have different skill sets. So we said, what, what are the issues that we can help with that maybe a lot of people here don't have the skill set for? And what it turned out was people needed housing. Mm. And they were pouring into Poland, but there really wasn't that much set up for housing. And then we discovered that the Roma community, which is... You know, I mean, it, it, they, the most disenfranchised community in Eastern Europe forever, um, that, that the Roma community was in Poland but was being 
discriminated against in housing, we took it upon ourselves to get Roma housing. And so I negotiated with a bunch of hotel chains to, to allow uh, Roma housing. We got senior, senior housing at a beautiful hotel, a floor reserved for old Roma people who'd never been in a hotel. So we had to have someone go in and show them how to use the TV remote and stuff like that. It was a dream come true. So we did that. And then from there, I started getting involved actually with the coffee industry in Ukraine because we got the skill base. So we started working with five different coffee roasters in the city of Kharkiv, which had just been liberated from the Russians, and they were still getting bombed a lot. And so we're working with them now on rebuilding cafes because cafe roasteries are sort of the anchor of local economies. So if the cafes can get up and running, not only can they serve coffee and pastries and hire hire bakers and things like that, but they can hire staff and it generates a local economy and helps bring things back. So that's what we're doing now. And Dean's Beans has been involved in that, but I'm kind of taking it on. I have to ask Beth if they're willing to <laughs> stay financially involved or if they're going to keep coming out of my pocket. Beth? And, and no, of just... course, it's, uh, it's not just us sending coffee to Ukraine to the roasters so that they can do what they do. It's also... Uh, Dean arranging to send clothing and boots and uh, and coordinate housing so that they're the long arms of yeah. the impact in Ukraine right. are extraordinary. And it turns out there are multiple ways that we as a company and Dean and his family have been making a difference. Yeah. One other thing we do is that we've been working with the service providers, meaning the people that go out and hook up the electric, hook up the gas, hook up the water after the bombings. You know, talk about unsung heroes. And their requests were for for work boots. So we got them from Sweden, the best work boots in the world, and we got them down there. They wanted power washers to wash off their vehicles because of the thick mud so that the, their vehicles could keep working and all sorts of stuff, all the while still funding you know, the, the flow of refugees, which still continues from, from eastern Ukraine out. So it's, uh, it's been, and, and also prosthetic leg for a barista who lost both his legs fighting. So it's like, you know, it never ends, right? But it, it has to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Oh, P.S. I'm still doing voting rights work in Georgia. Okay. <laughs> I will not stop yep. doing that. Every federal election, he goes down to it. Last right. time, it was last November, it was Coffee County, Georgia. Ah, yeah. To be an election You always observer. have to be on theme. I, it wasn't my ch I mean, that's what the Democratic Party, I guess they looked at my resume and they said, oh, we should send him to Coffee County. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That is Dean of Dean's Beans, formerly of Dean's Beans, and Beth Spong, the new CEO of Dean's Beans. Quite a fan of the new Nitro can. Yes, talk wow. to us, Beth, Thank about you. some of the new endeavors that you'll be bringing and the other worker owners will be bringing. He doesn't believe in cold coffee, but I, I do. I'll drink it. I don't uh, love it. Alrighty. I wish you out there on the radio I was see just on face. the phone earlier with <laughs> Representative Susanna Whips, and she said she only drinks cold coffee now. She makes it every morning. She drinks it all year round, and she just can't do the big chains anymore. She's like, it just, it's not as good. It's so... So anyway, cold we coffee. are, by the way, the breaker of chains. That's, <laughs> that's what we're known as in the industry. I mean, it, like between the the tree planting, the the bird protection, the water well like building, the well building, the buying of work boots for service workers. I mean, it seems a part 
and parcel of the whole thing. Well, you know, what I think really speaks to a lot of people is that buying Dean's Beans coffee is a way they can purchase with purpose. So I care about climate change. I care about maternal health. I care about water in the coffee lands. I care about those impacts. I care about humanity. And this is a company that is using its resources to put its money where its mouth is. And that's where I want my money to be. And it's really good coffee. So... Which brings us full circle, Dean Sycon. Now that you no longer are with Dean's Beans, if you were to have to go purchase the coffee from the company you formerly owned, what would be the first blend that you would make sure to get? Well, first, I have to clarify your mistaken impression. I am not leaving Dean's Beans. I don't own Dean's Beans any longer. Uh I have been asked to be on the board of directors. Nice. For three years. For three years. Uh Three years, really? Uh, three years. <laughs> as, as, as what's called a benefit director because we're a B Corp. Right. And a B Corp has to have an outside director that oversees the, the benefit aspect. So I'm going to be the benefit director, which allows me to stay in touch with the work with the farmers and everything. And since but, you but created the alone. benefits, <laughs> you can guide us in continuing the but benefits. But not bother everybody in the roastery like, what are you doing there? Why don't you clean that up? No, I'm not there. That's <laughs> Beth. That's Beth. So that's what I'm doing. But having said that, about that coffee. Do you know the very first blend I ever made was Mocha Sumatra? We took Sumatran, which I think is the boldest, most beautiful coffee out there, and we, we, we blended it with Nicaraguan, which is kind of like this cocoa-y, dry, really nice coffee, and we put them together. So it wasn't Mocha Java, which is uh, Indonesian and uh, Ethiopian, basically. It's our version of it, Mocha Sumatra. It's the first blend I ever made. I still drink it every morning. I love it. I can't stop. And even when it gets cool in the cup, now it tastes like cold hot chocolate. (laughs) It's wonderful. I'm a fan of Ahab's Revenge. (laughs) I've always been a fan of that She likes it dark (laughs) and strong. Me too. (laughs) Beth Spong, the new CEO of Dean's Beans Coffee, which is now a worker-owned co-op as of yesterday, and Dean Sycon, the newly retired CEO and board member of Dean's Beans, at least for the next three years. Uh, You've been honored by the United Nations for the humanitarian work you've done across the globe. I've all I've long been a fan of you as a human being and, and showing what social entrepreneurship can look like. My childhood uh, mantra after I saw Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction where he once said, I want my goal in life to roam the earth and get in adventures like Kane from Kung Fu. You have done that exact thing with a career and with a social justice in mind this entire time. So I know you're still involved, but best of luck in, in the next chapter of your life, Dean Sycon. And thanks for bringing real cool bands to the Green River Festival. Yeah. We the, benefit every year. And there was a big farewell ceremony to Dean at the Green yeah, River Festival was, over the past week. Indeed. <laughs> thanks so much, folks. No it's problem. been a pleasure to be and here. And we're so happy to be carrying on Dean Sycon's legacy with the future of Dean's Beans Organic Coffee as a worker-owned cooperative right here in Western Mass. Right on. Coming up, Making Strides with Culture as one of the oldest Puerto Rican parades in the country gets ready for its festivities. We'll be joined by Parade Administrator Shirley Rodriguez and NEPM's Elizabeth Roman, who will be covering the parade, who's been covering the parade for 20 years as we delve into the history and legacy of the Springfield Puerto Rican Parade. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. You... 
Welcome back to the fabulous 413, the Springfield Puerto Rican Parade. It's been celebrated for 33 years. The 2023 theme, Nunca Olvides Tus Raices, translates into Never Forget Your Roots. The culture of Puerto Rico is a combination of Taino, Spanish, and African cultures. The parade is an annual celebration of cultural pride, arts, and education that honors the Puerto Rican people on both the island and on the continent. The parade spans just over two miles through the city center, starting from the North End neighborhood and ending in downtown. The parades committee will be announcing ambassador honorees in several categories, including community organization, sports, culture, LGBTQIA+, and more at their kickoff party, which happens this Thursday. And here to speak more on the festival and its importance here in the 413 are parade administrator Shirley Rodriguez and NEPM reporter Elizabeth Roman. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I must say that you said that the theme of the parade, I mean, you pronounced it so Perfectly. Thank you. I have. I speak Spanish very poorly. I understand Spanish a little bit better. My wife is a Spanish professor, so I really have no good excuse. But I, I do do my best uh, when I can. Why? Why is that the theme, uh, Shirley Rodriguez? Nunca olvides tus raíces. Never forget your roots. Yes. So um, this year we decided to reach out to the community and get them involved, get them excited of this year's parade. So um, once we did, um, we received a lot of great responses from, you know, the community. And it was really tough to decide on one. Um, but we decided on Nunca Olvides Tus Raices because it spoke to many people on the board. And when we reached out to the person who submitted the um, that theme, she is actually a co-owner to... Um, Mi Esquina Boricua here on Main Street, which is um, a Puerto Rican um, store that has a lot of artisans. Is that how you mm-hmm. say it in English? Um, and a lot of cool knickknacks from Puerto Rico. And she stressed the importance of, like, when people come to and visit her store, um, many of the young adults are always asking, you know, things about Puerto Rico. And she feels that, you know, she loves to share that information, you know, things about the island and just express, you know, share the culture and the this gris, gris, gastronomy of, 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 you know, of Puerto Rico. Best way to connect with any culture is through its food. I stand by it. <laughs> tied, maybe tied with music, but yeah, they're very close. How, so the festival is in its Jesus year. It's 33 this year. What... Give us a brief history of... You're laughing at me. But I am, quietly. That's just such a weird way to phrase it, but sure, yes. Give us a brief rundown of the history of the festival in Springfield. As you've been covering Elizabeth. it, Elizabeth Roman from NEPM. Yeah, I've been covering it um, since I was a young intern at what was then the Union News. It's now the Republican newspaper. Uh, so over 20 years I've been going to this parade. It goes right past the newspaper and, and you know, past the NEPM offices, our, our former offices. So it actually started with a flag raising in the late 80s, I believe 1989. So a couple of local Latinos who had moved here and were really trying to make an impact for the Puerto Rican community. A lot of Puerto Ricans arrived here in the 40s and 50s to work on the tobacco farms. And they were really trying to make a name for themselves. And one of the things they did was, you know, start this petition to get a flag raising going. It worked out for them. And then the, free, the, the following year, they were like, you know, we should turn this into a parade. And it's been going ever since. Why is it in September and not on Puerto Rico Day, which just passed a couple weeks ago. You want to 
go to that or I can I can talk about it a little bit. It's been back and forth. Yeah. So oh, has they, it? so yeah, so it was in it was in the summer. It started with, you know, the parade and then a festival. The flag raising was in November because that's Puerto Rican Heritage Month. So there's a lot of opportunities for where you could do it. You could do it in the summer because that is festival season. You could do it in November, but then it's too cold. So they opted for September a couple of years ago because they really wanted the schools involved. And mm-hmm. in order for them to participate in the marching, you want kids to be back in school and they start back in school end of August, beginning of September. So it worked out really well. The weather's generally pretty good. And, uh, and and it's worked out great. They have tons of school contingencies that participate. I'm assuming this year there's some coming as well, Shirley? Definitely, yeah. And if you know um, anything about our um, Puerto Rican culture, we like to celebrate all year through. So it's just <laughs> another excuse to continue Absolutely. celebrating. So. I, I mean, that's the best way to go about things, right? What are we celebrating this month? Where's the party? Yeah. Bring it. There's always a party. Well, speaking of, the parade is in September, and we'll talk about it again as it gets a little bit closer. But what's happening this week and why we're having you on right now is because there is a kickoff to all of these festivities happening on Thursday. Shirley Rodriguez, who's the parade administrator, tell us a little bit about what to expect Thursday at White Lion right here in downtown Springfield. Yeah, so um, basically we we try to have a kickoff celebration, just get everyone um, excited about the parade, and that's when we do our ambassador um, honoree reveal. And so we have like um, a few um, honorees representing the categories of civil service, madrina, padrino, cultural, youth, sports, LGBTQIA+, community organization, and we have another um uh, category that's going to be a special announcement on Thursday that um, you know we're we're eager to to share with the public and this is just our way to you know honor those ambassadors and um, just have a little you know beer wine um, you know appetizers you know share you know in this this event with the with the public and get their spirits going and excited for the parade and those ambassadors will be participating in the parade itself yes correct? yes they do march how are you know what? I'm going to figure out what this question is, and then you come back to me. <laughs> Sounds good. So you're not revealing any of the honorees yet? No. But Elizabeth Roman from NEPM will be there covering it. I will. You are going to be missing awesome. out on the uh, ice cream social that I Khalees know. and I are going to be covering, because we want to institute some sort of ice cream tasting feature yeah. with you, uh, Elizabeth Roman. I'm, I'm ready. Because I mean, Puerto Rican roots and, and ice cream, that's really my, <laughs> my two passions. So I had to choose and I chose the, the parade. <laughs> you are Puerto Rican yourself and that is like yes. that you are, you know, you are covering this as part of the community as well. What are some of the things that you re- remember specifically over the course of different years throughout uh, covering this parade? I mean, I think there's so many things that are that are the same, and that's really what I love about it, right? Yeah. So you come back to the same traditions of seeing all of these people come together. You know, some of the parade founders are still alive and well. So Gumercindo Gomez, who is the executive director of the Bilingual um, Veterans Outreach Center. Maria Perez, who's now a city councilor. Her husband, Freddy Moreno, who passed away, uh, was a big big part of it. Uh, Eriberto Flores, who runs the North, uh, the New England Farm Workers Council. So all of them come together. I don't get to see them too much throughout the year. So when they're all there, it's nice to see them walking down and just join the parade route and start talking to them and interviewing them. This this year, I'll have radio equipment last year, you know, before I was with a notebook. <laughs> but I just, I love being able to see everybody come out. And it brings a lot of people together. I mean, yes, it is, of course, it's Puerto Rican culture. So we're celebrating that. Um, but I think more importantly, it's an opportunity to see all of the Latino culture 
ventures that have have now come into um, the the north end of Springfield and Springfield as whole in Western Massachusetts. So I think the parade has tried to incorporate some of that, and then people who are outside of the culture, so that they can experience the the music and and the fun too. So it's really fun from the perspective of being able to see it from the outside, but also being very proud as a Puerto Rican person um, growing up in the north end to you know to see it still thriving. How did yourself, not to harp on pandemic things, but mm-hmm. clearly in the pandemic years, we weren't able to meet and, and do anything with this celebration. How has, how has the celebration shifted from when we couldn't be together to now when we finally are again? Because this is only the second one since the pandemic happened, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Yes, and I wasn't a part of that, so you can speak on uh, that. So, <laughs> I, so it, it went virtual. Uh, mm-hmm. The parade, uh, the parade, committee at that time, you know, they made a a really serious decision. We actually reported on it extensively beforehand because they were being really thoughtful about, you know, what the Holyoke Parade was doing for St. Patrick's. And they they wanted to be sure to do something that wasn't going to hurt anyone. And the Latino community at that time, there was a high incidence of of COVID happening. So they decided to shut it down. But they they opted for like a video version. So that day they still celebrated. They put together, you know, some music and some thoughts and recollections from people in the community. And they aired it on on television and online and they did that for two years they opted to stay an additional year off off you know campus or off the streets <laughs> uh, just to, just for safety's uh, sake and they're they were happy with that decision I've interviewed many of them and and they they knew it was sad and it was you know they, they love being together but it was the right thing to do for the community at that time to keep everyone you know healthy and safe so it seems like when we finally were able to come back together it was like even bigger and more meaningful Oh, for sure. I would say I would say meaningful for for everyone who came out. So last year was the first year back in person, and mm-hmm. I mean the streets were just full, and it was everybody. You know, everybody <laughs> wanted to party. It doesn't matter if you're a Puerto Rican or not. You just wanted yes. to be out. You wanted to you know hear good music, and you you wanted to like smell the good food of all the vendors, and uh, and so it was really it was very fun to cover that parade. I have to say, and it was I mean, over five thousand marchers. Okay, so so you so. were involved in last year's yes, parade, I was, just yeah. not the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, talk yeah. about last year and, and what you. Guys I mean, it was exciting, and we just hope to replicate that this year we have an exciting lineup of artists and um, we'll mention that further down the road you know on our, we'll share it on our social media page for right now we want to keep kind of keep a secret in the download but um, you know we're hoping to do a little change up as well in the during the parade and um, you know it's just gonna be exciting so you'll have to go in order to see what we have <laughs> 33 years in and they still have surprises for you. Let's hope. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Well, we'll hear, we'll try to see if we can uh, solicit any more of these surprises out of the uh, festival administrator, but we won't push too hard. Shirley Rodriguez and talk more about the kickoff festivities that are happening this Thursday at White Lion in downtown Springfield and more with NEPM's own Elizabeth Roman, who's been covering this festival and going to it for the last 20 years, the Springfield Puerto Rican Parade. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. We're delving further into the history and legacy of the Puerto Rico, the Springfield Puerto Rican Parade with Shirley Rodriguez, one of the parade administrators, and NEPM's own Elizabeth Roman. What does a parade administrator do, Shirley? Do you have to like do you come up with the route? No, thankfully, you know, it's been um, a set schedule since, I don't know, for fairly good number time. of years. Many yeah, years. It's always been down Main Street. Yeah. <laughs> and it's worked very well with, you know, for us. It's, you know, just 
right straight down, like she says, down Main Street. So, um, you know, um, the, the logistical piece is kind of all set. But, you know, I do more of the administrative, you know, um, you know, the collecting payments, posting on social media, getting our website ready, sending out e-newsletters, um, trying to engage um going to different meetings and just trying to engage the community as much as possible. Why did you want to be a part of making the parade happen? Oh, dear. So, um, wow, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm going to mimic Elizabeth Elizabeth's answer um, that she mentioned earlier. Um, it's just I'm, I'm so proud of my, my roots. Um, I, I always... So I was born in Florida, born and raised in Florida, but my mom moved to Florida when she was seven months pregnant. So I'm like, Mom, why couldn't you have waited just a few more months <laughs> so I could have been, in, you know, born in in Puerto Rico like my, you know, my siblings. Um, but, you know, I've it's it's just something that um, I guess lives in my bones and my blood. And I'm just so proud. And I like to share that with my two sons who I also get them involved. Um, they're voluntold to the parade, but they they enjoy it. They have enjoyed it. So it's it's important to share that culture down, you know, with my family. That's wonderful. Also, that's a great word everybody yeah. should be using. Get ready, my children. You too will be voluntold. They've already done a lot of that at the Shea and Turner's. That's uh, I, now I'm going to use that word. I'm going to steal that from you, Shirley Rodriguez, parade administrator from the Springfield Puerto Rican Parade. A lot of times when people are talking in the 413 in Western Mass about Puerto Rico, their mind immediately goes to Holyoke. But what makes the Puerto Rican community in the north end of Springfield unique? Elizabeth Roman from NEPM, who is part of that community, but who's also been covering that community for de for decades now, either for the Springfield Republican, the mm -hmm. union, or or right here at NEPM. Yeah, I mean, I think I wouldn't say there's anything unique in the sense of we're all Puerto Ricans. You know, whether you were born on the island or whether you were raised and born and raised here, like both of us were, because I also was born. I was born in Springfield in the North End, actually. <laughs> uh, so I've been here my entire life, and I think uh, I would say what what makes us what makes us special to me because I'm from here obviously is the fact that we have we're really entrenched here right so uh, like I mentioned before you have families that were arriving here in in the, the late 40s and 50s looking just for a better life. And while we're not technically immigrants because we do have, you know, U.S. citizenship, it's still an immigrant experience, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know the language. You don't know um, you don't know many people. There weren't many people in politics at that time, any actually, that, that were Latino. So when they came here, they, they kind of like bonded together and the North End became the place that became like a little Puerto Rico, just like Holyoke has, you know, the, the South End of Holyoke, which is, which is really um, populated with a lot of Puerto Rican culture. Same thing thing in the North End in Springfield. You've got places you can eat. You can go an entire day without having to speak English there and get everything that you need. So I think it's just a matter of, of community and embracing um, other Latino groups that are now coming, but always holding true to the fact that, you know, the Puerto Rican community really came forward, were the first ones to get into politics in the city, in school committee and, and city council. You know, we have a, a Puerto Rican man running for mayor now. We've got um, city councilors that are that are Puerto Rican uh, and school committee members. So it's 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 been a long time and I think that's what's important. And that's what's special about it, just the history of seeing how we started and where we're going. You both have been going to the parade for years. What's something that you're not seeing at the parade that you would really love to get on the streets and bring to the greater uh, Springfield population? Or that you will be bringing. Or that you Shirley will Rodriguez be as the parade well, administrator. I feel like Will is giving away some of those secrets oh, yeah, okay. that she wanted <laughs> to No keep. secrets, no secrets to give away. Yeah. I don't, well, I would like to see larger artists. Yeah, of course. 
me Bad Bunny will come out. I know. I just I played Bad Bunny as the bumper music that we just yeah, did. Mark so Anthony we're, and Bad Bunny. We're asking Bad Bunny to come. I personally am asking as well. No, I I mean for me it's food. I, I would love to see more food. We we do have. Yeah. I, I feel like music has really mm-hmm. um, has has developed over the years. We have Tito Puente's son who's come many times mm-hmm. to perform, and um, Bomba de Aquí does a lot of like folkloric music. I love them. Um, so so just there's a lot there's a lot of music, but I I would love to see some like some more Puerto Rican frituras just on the side of the road or you could grab them. They're, they do have events like at the end and in, in the North End. Sometimes they do in Brightwood neighborhood like a pig roast and all that. But if you had it right on the street and you could get it, that, oh, yeah. I think that would be cool. So yeah. more food, always. The answer is always more food. I mean, I de- can't disagree with that answer <laughs> at all. If you've listened to this show at all, I mean, we were just talking about how we're going to try to drag Elizabeth Roman to taste ice cream with us. Tasting things is it's a big part that, of it. not that difficult to yeah. drag me. Whenever I go to Puerto Rico, I always am like trying to eat as much mofongo as I can eat before I feel oh, yes, like I'm going to be sick. Plate. Okay, good. That's what I'm going to ask. Like, <laughs> is there something that when the parade happens, a food that each of you like? I got to make sure to go to this place to get this thing. Shirley Rodriguez, parade administrator for the Springfield Puerto Rican Parade. So I, I'd say for me, um, that's like a weekly. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a weekly aim that I try to do. It's like I I um, I roped in our our. Our previous chair, Victoria Rodriguez, no relations, um, um, we're going to eat, um, we're meeting, um, discuss parade, you know, detail, you know, parade logistics and whatnot on on Friday. And I'm like, why don't we go to El Rincón in Holyoke? Yeah. And she's like, yes, I'm on board. Yeah, this <laughs> is so good. I am, I'm a diehard Puerto Rican bakery Pan de Agua fan. So, like, I, I love Old San Juan Bakery, too. I love both of them. They have different different things I like. Old San Juan, the pastries, the donuts are they're sugar donuts. But for, like, the classic, if you want a, a really good sandwich, con pan de agua, uh, Puerto Rico Bakery. On the, it's on Main, and it's I don't Maine. know, the corner of maybe Wild. Yeah, because the, 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 the other Waverly, second, Waverly, that's the what second is. one is around the corner yeah, from yeah, my yeah. house, yeah. and I have to not get the pastries with guava in them because I eat too many. <laughs> now I'm hungry. Quickly and before we run out of time, Shirley Rodriguez. Can I just say that my 18-year-old tried canepas yesterday for the first time, <gasps> so and he loved them. Wow, so good. that's great. See, that's what it's all about. <laughs> yes. Not just food, but more, but food too. <laughs> White Lion is a kickoff celebration of the Puerto Rican parade this Thursday. And then the parade itself will be in September. Shirley Rodriguez, who is the parade administrator and NEPM's own Elizabeth Roman. Thank you both so much. Gracias. De nada. Claro. <laughs> Tomorrow on the Fabulous 413, do we feel bad or feel badly? Hopefully neither, but we'll ask the word nerd Emily Brewster from Merriam-Webster and Springfield, which is more correct? We'll learn about the local kids' music series at the Parlor Room in Northampton with Mr. Nick and Mr. Liam. And the local bear scene with NEPM's Nancy Cohen. Literal bears, not the euphemism, but happy Pride Month, y'all. Get your beard on. <laughs> Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Krakazat, The Mellow Men featuring Thurs, Ravencroft, Tony the Tiger, the Pirates of the Caribbean theme, Bob Dylan, Fania All-Stars, Hector Lavoe, and Bad Bunny. We'll see, see you tomorrow, tomorrow on the, the Fabulous, Fabulous 413. 413.